617, respond to report of shots fired. The Coroner Talk podcast takes you behind the scenes with coroners, clinicians, and death investigators from around the world to provide training, news, and interviews from leading experts in the area of death investigation and scene management, bringing real stories and solid training together in one source. Now, here's your host, Darren Day. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Coroner Talk, the only podcast in iTunes dedicated to the men and women working the field of death investigation. We are approaching four years of coming to you on a almost weekly basis with podcasts and training and something to help you along in your career. And it's been an amazing four years, I, I must admit. We've had a lot of ups and a lot of downs, but mostly ups. And I appreciate meeting each and every one of you. And I appreciate uh, the friends and the family that I have made during the last four years. It's, it's been amazing. I wanted to tell you something real quick about your uh, the email notifications that you should be getting from us. We've got several that have not responded to uh, an email that we sent out asking if you still wanted to be on our notification list. Now, one of two things may have happened. Either A, you don't check your email very much. B, you've, it's going to spam or junk. You're with a department that blocks anything, you know, almost anything, everything. And so you're not been getting it. And so if you want to receive emails from us, notifications from not only the Coroner Talk, but Death Investigation Academy, which everyone you may have signed up for, about training and about news and about events and things coming to your area and stuff like that, then you'll want to make sure you go and check your email, check your spam, check your junk. And and if it's in there, respond back to the email there like I asked you to, and then add our email in your contacts. Because there's several that hasn't responded. So either A, you've not got it, or B, it was a fake email and, and you just signed up to receive something, but then that's all you want. And that's fine. You're going to be, that will be removed from the listing. But I wanted to give you the opportunity because in case you say, you know what, I haven't received any email at all or for a long time, it may be because your email provider is blocking us. So you might want to go ahead and check that out. So this is June of 2018, and June is PTSD Awareness Month. Now, there's PTS and PTSD. Sometimes we have issues with PTS, post-traumatic stress, or compassion fatigue, which is ongoing traumatic stress, but we don't have a D. We don't necessarily have a disorder. And there's where I think sometimes we have uh, this closed-off approach to listening about compassion fatigue and PTSD is because you say, well, first off, I don't have the D. I don't have a disorder, so it doesn't apply to me. Well, you know, maybe you have more of a D than you think you do, but even if you have no D, then you still have PTS. And so sometimes when you think you're fine, maybe you're not. And so, again, part of our well-rounded training aspects here at Coroner Talk, every few months I want to talk about compassion fatigue or uh, PTSD or something that involves your life. Now, we try to make it different every time and, and try to talk about some different topic and something different. So today I have Anita Brooks in the studio and we're going to talk about this PTS. Maybe you think you're fine, but then again, maybe you're not. And where it's come from in the past, where it is now. So don't tune out. Listen to the show. You're probably going to get something out of it, even if you've listened in the past. I promise you that. So let me give you a couple of training announcements here and then we'll go into uh, the training that we have scheduled for you today. Uh, this is June 2018 as this comes out live. In July, we have our next 
iteration of Medical Legal Death Investigation Online Academy. Again, that's going to allow you to take the certification exam after you take that. That starts in July. Uh, you can go to coronerschool.com and find the information out there. You can also just go to the cornertalk.com and find the training link and it'll be in there. Also in July is our classroom here in Missouri. We're going to have the buried body and surface remain recovery class. So we're going to talk about skeletons. We're going to do human versus animal bones. We actually have a dig site for you to participate in, in doing a buried clandestine grave. And also we will have surface recovery. So we're going to do some entomology. And so it's going to be a really great three days. It's here in Missouri. Again, you can find that out on the training link at either deathinvestigation.training or at the Corner Talk site, either one. And then, of course, in October is going to be our medical legal level one class. We're starting to fill for that. We have people coming in from out of the United States into this class. We've got a couple other states adjoining. So is this course will fill. So if you're wanting to get in on the October medical legal death investigation level one, you need to get started on getting that scheduled before long because these classes are filling faster and faster. So you'll want not want to wait to the last minute, uh, but certainly jump in as soon as you can. Okay, one last announcement here about certification exam. I'm going to come to you more and more about this certification exam so you understand the process that we've went through, how this certification exam exists and how it's vetted and accredited and things like that. But if you have completed your the online academy through us, through the Death Investigation Academy, and you took the full 40-hour online academy in the past, you will be getting notifications that you're eligible to take this certification exam. If you have not taken that, there is going to be ways you can take the exam based upon your experience in education. Now, this is a level below ABMDI. Uh, with ABMDI, you have to complete several functions before you're allowed to take the exam. Plus, you have to work within the industry for so many hours. And that's fantastic. There's nothing wrong with that. And But this is the level below that. This is the level of those, either, number one, just entering the career thinking about entering the career, or wanting to get an edge up on their resume so that they have a nationally standardized exam that they can take when they're uh, entering the death investigation field uh, for new coroners, things like that. There's some states that's already using this for their new coroner program. Then it's also for those maybe working police departments or been a coroner for a long time who just wants to develop their skills and want to take a test to ensure and prove that they are meeting the minimum requirements. So now as you then you go on and you work towards getting your ABMDI exam, you go from there. This is kind of like this is kind of like this situation. You have a certified nurse's aide, you have LPNs, you have RNs, and you have register you have physician's assistants uh, it, and you have nurse practitioners. So there's all these levels of nursing. This is the same kind of a deal. You got the diplomat level with the ABMDI. You got the fellow level with ABMDI. There's nothing below that. And so we're providing the level below that so that you can have a certification that is vetted, that is vetted by very by many professionals. So you can take a certification exam and say, yes, I have passed this exam. It's a third-party independent exam. And I have met the minimum qualifications to be a death investigator. Now, of course, the department you work for will train you more. You'll learn more. You know, you certainly don't know it all at that point, but you do know the basics to get started. So it's a great exam. 
Want any more information on that? You can email me, Darren at cornertalk.com. Just go to our site and just click on the contact link. Any of that can get a hold of me and we will give you information on how to take the exam. If you've taken the course already in July, you will be getting information on how to take the exam if you wish to. So we will be emailing you and letting you know that if you've already taken our online exam. Otherwise, if you want to try to do it on experience and education, email me and we'll get started on how you walk down that path. So without any further delay, let's get into this conversation I had with Anita Brooks And I think, you're, like I said, you're going to get a lot out of this. Stay with us. And I'll be back after our conversation with Anita to just give you a couple more updates, give you my last final thoughts on the show. Adjust your earbuds, turn up those speakers, and hang on. It's now time for this week's featured conversation. All right, I'm back and and joining me in the studio today. Another rare gift to have someone in the actual Corner Talk studios here live in the morgue with us, so to speak. Anita Brooks, welcome to the show. Thanks, Darren. Great to be back again. Well, as I pre-introduced a little bit, uh, June is PTSD Awareness Month. And I know PTSD is something that's a big, broad topic. A lot of times it's related to military, uh, but it's also related to uh, police and fire and EMS. And I think we've proven that. But one of the things I want to talk to you today about is this the whole concept of PTSD and law enforcement and death investigation. But then also this secondary traumatic stress, compassion fatigue. It's a form of PTSD, but a lot of times we think PTSD as that one massive firefight, that one massive event. That's true, and that can really be detrimental. But then there's this PTSD that's compassion fatigue. It's a long, drawn-out thing sometimes. So let's just jump off here and say this way. Tell us what secondary traumatic stress is, compassion fatigue, and then let's start wading into this thing. Well, and I before I get into that, let me kind of back up just a little bit into what you said. Um, I do want your listeners to remember you're accurate. Sometimes it's a one big dramatic event that can trigger PTSD and secondary traumatic stress disorder, but it also can be an accumulating effect where it's a lot of everyday, if you will, smaller occurrences that pile up on top of each other and it sneaks up on you. And to be honest with you, that's the more common way that people end up with a full-blown PTSD or secondary traumatic stress disorder um, event that takes over their lives. But secondary traumatic stress disorder is also commonly known as compassion fatigue. And what happens is if you are exposed on a regular basis to tragedy, trauma, you know, the things that the people who are listening to your podcast typically are exposed to, what that does is it begins to cause you to numb. Now, you have to do that. You have to numb yourself emotionally in order to do the job that you do. There's no way that a person could be um, let's say on the scene, you know, where maybe there's a child involved and maybe it's been a very tragic event and and you see horrific uh things before you, that that's not going to have some impact on you. But you have to almost shut yourself down to be able to process, to do the the job. But if you're not careful, you become so adept at shutting down that you end up shutting down all the way across the board. So your entire life. And this is a common thing. I hear this from many who work in emergency services that after a while, 
they lose the ability to flip the switch back on emotionally when they're around family, friends, and they're doing those so-called normal events like maybe birthday parties or anniversaries or, or those things where there's an expectation that you should be emotional. Um, sometimes even between spouses, the simple thing of you don't even realize anymore that, that you don't kiss your spouse, that you don't give them a hug, that you've stopped listening Compassion fatigue makes us numb, and it actually prevents us from being able to um, to operate. Well, you know, we've talked about this on the show before. Uh, it, this isn't something new. I, I some maybe we've talked about it too much. Maybe some people have already tuned out because we talk about it too much. But every few months we cover this, and and of course June being PTSD Awareness Month, that's something that would is a good time to bring it up. But the reason I bring it up so much is because it is an area that is kind of forgotten about. No, let me rephrase that. In today's culture, 2018, it isn't so much that it's forgotten about. It's starting to become on the forefront because of uh, Blue Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, that whole thing, uh, you know, plus the the just the uh, Ferguson started a big conversation on thing on things like this. So there's a lot more mental health stuff talked about. And of course, the command staff is getting younger and and things like that. But but the reason we talk about it uh, so much that I want to talk about it is because I want everybody to realize that it's real and it's something they need to address. You know, in advertising, someone has to see an advertisement seven times or seven different ways before they ever remember you even exist, right? So again, that's another reason why uh, we talk about it. But it's something that that kind of we're starting to admit a little bit, but I still don't think we're admitting it enough. And what is happening is I think it's been a long time ago that me and you done a, a show, maybe even on this podcast, I think, but it was about is this career or is your is your job killing your family or something like that? And we talked about how our job affects our family life. And I want to I want to spend a few minutes on that here about how our job as police officers, death investigators, being in this world of public service, how does it affect our family? And what are some of the things that we need to watch out for? Because here's where I want the listener to 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 pep up and pay attention. We're going to talk about some things that they may cue and say, oh, that's me, that's me, that's me. Now we realize, hey, you know what? It's not that you're going to lose your career, but let's address these things. So, Anita, back to you. What are some things that we as investigators in this career need to watch out for that will affect and damage our family life? Yeah. And I want to say this to your listeners too, no matter how many times that we may have addressed this one, there's usually going to be at least one or two new things that come to light. But the other thing is, Darren, you're, I'm sure you've had this experience. Someone will say to you, oh, I know, I know, I know. But if you don't do something with what you know, it doesn't matter. So I hope that your listeners, as they're focusing in on what we're sharing today, decide to take action, decide to do something with what they know about this subject. And in particular, when you're talking about families and the effect of that, you know, some things to look for, you know, one, is your family complaining? Are, are they complaining that you're not plugged in? Are they complaining that you're too distracted or too busy, you're never available. Because see, all of those can be signs or symptoms 
of secondary traumatic stress disorder or PTSD because we check out. We get that inner anxiety that starts to rise when we start feeling too close to someone and it makes us pull back. That is a big thing to watch out for in your families. And, you know, oftentimes it's easier to ignore it, but if you ignore it too long, that situation is going to magnify and you truly run the risk of losing everything that you hold dear. And, you know, you may love going to work and you may love doing the job, but if you don't have family and friends to share life with, the question is, what are you working for? But I don't say that to be like a negative or discouraging statement. The thing is, once you become aware of that, then you can do something about it. Then you can start taking some intentional steps to turn that situation around. But I think it's important for us to understand what steps we need to take, but but also what to watch out for. You know, I, I know we've I've mentioned this before about drinking too much. I know in our industry, there's a lot of people that, that drink a lot, uh, but <clears throat> it's not just about drinking. You know, it could be prescription drugs, it could be affairs, but it, but it can also be too big an emphasis on spirituality or the positive thinking or you know something along those lines. People have different faiths and and, and things like that, but. Um, but but I guess I, I'm I'm going to I'm you can tell I'm wading in this waters very carefully. <laughs> all right, because uh, there there could be snakes in the hair, so I'm I'm wading in carefully. So let's talk about spirituality. Every everybody knows I'm I am definitely decidedly Christian, and I have no uh, qualms about that. But but there are a lot of different faiths out there that people adhere to. Some people combine several of them. However, they're there can be those times when someone will hang their hat on some spiritual belief to a point that they cloud their ability to realize that they're having mental health issues with their job. And, and, and the reason I'm being cautious is, as a Christian, I'm not taking God out of the equation. I'm not saying that prayer isn't powerful. I'm not saying that, you know, we, we whatever your, your faith is, that's fantastic. But we can also fool ourselves. That's what I'm saying. You, sometimes we think we're right, and we're not. Sometimes we think we're doing spiritually correct, and we're not. Because what we're doing is we're band-aiding it until this don't hurt no more but we're not fixing a wound. Well, and, and, and you correct me if I'm, I'm not hearing you accurately, Darren, but I think what I'm hearing you say is that it's extremism, you know, and, and, and it can be extremism in anything. Listen, you know, if you have a drink and you can stop at a drink, that's probably not an issue if you do that every once in a while. But if you start reaching that point where you have to have a drink every day, or at least a couple of times a week. And especially if that a drink multiplies in, you can't stop at one. That's an extremism. It, overeating can be an extremism. You know, there's a, a myriad of things that move from moderation into that area that if it becomes your focus, and especially if you have a singular focus, the thing that I'm hearing you you say about spirituality, I think as well is that when you become so 
dug in that you stop listening, you stop analyzing, you stop considering or questioning, you know, maybe other viewpoints or considering how it's affecting your thought processes, then it can become a danger. You know, it, it's that thing of, you know, am I just being stubborn in, in reality? And why is that, does that stubbornness, excuse me, why does that stubbornness exist? Oftentimes, it is because there is an emotional fear buried down deep inside of us. And many times that's connected directly to PTSD or compassion fatigue. Well, and to better clarify spirituality, uh, uh, this is a joke kind of thing, but I'll tell it this way. And it, it doesn't matter what religion, what spiritual realm, Eastern, Western, but I don't know if your chi is in line with your whatever, whatever. But, but I heard this little joke one time, and it makes sense. So this guy was on the roof, and the floodwaters are coming up, and he was praying to God, and, you know, save me, save me, save me. A boat came by, said, hey, jump in the boat. Hey, nope, God's going to save me. And, you know, water's coming up, and he's praying, God, save me, God, save me. And we, you know, the second boat and the third boat, and the water came up, the guy drowned, the guy went to heaven, and he said, why didn't you save me? And God said, I sent you three boats, mm-hmm. right? So what, I, what I'm meaning by this, and, and we'll move on past the spirituality part, is don't get to the point of whatever your faith is that, you know, God says, your faith says, yes, hang your hat on this, but then do something for yourself, right? Um, now, here's my belief, okay? I'm going to talk about my belief. You have cancer. God gave us cancer doctors, right? Um well, we have high blood pressure, then take high blood pressure medicine. Change your diet, start exercising. You know, you, you lay around and get to be 500 pounds with high blood pressure and just laying on the bed like a lump saying, God save me. God's going to say, well, you're an idiot. I've given you an opportunity to save yourself. Okay, now, I'm not making light of it. But when it comes to our mental health, what I mean by that is there's things that we can do. There's things that we can recognize. Yes, prayer works. Yes, having a faith. Yes, whether it be Eastern or, or Western or whatever your faith is, that's great. But every one of them speaks into put your big girl pants on and go do something too. Yeah. And that's where we have the problem where we just think, well, it's not going to affect me. I'm okay. And you're not. And and that's, I think that is the, the real point there. These things don't fix themselves. And even faith requires action, you know, and, and it goes back to, I think everything we're talking about today goes back to that point. What are you doing? Let me, let me interject. Faith requires action. We have faith every day. I get into my car and I drive down the interstate. I drive down the road. I have faith. I'm going to make it to the other end. Okay. But with that faith comes my action of staying in my lane on my side of the road and watching out for somebody else that might be on my side of the road. Now I have faith. I'm going to make it there. But if I drive with my eyes closed in the middle of the road, I'm probably not going to make it faith or not. That's right. right. So, so I have faith. But I have to do something about that faith as well. And it's the same thing. And that's, that sums that up. But that's the same thing here. Yes, exactly. So, so the point is, you know, you know, whatever that belief system is, yes, make that a part of the plan, but make sure that you are working a plan. You know, don't allow yourself to ignore the symptoms. You know, other symptoms of PTSD and secondary traumatic stress disorder, Darren, are um, sleep issues. 
you know, either you are restless, you're not able to fall asleep, you have insomnia, or you're plagued by nightmares. Um, Sometimes if it reaches a crisis point, you can almost feel like all you want to do is sleep. You can't get enough sleep. So, you know, look for sleep patterns. Look for a change in eating patterns. You know, are you overeating or undereating? Either one of those can be a symptom of that. Um, and, and look for those unhealthy choices. What are those things that you are almost obsessively drawn to? If that is happening, whether it's being drawn to uh, substance abuse or overeating, overspending, or maybe it is extramarital affairs, any of those type of unhealthy choices that could lead to even bigger problems for you are actually usually symptomatic of that thing that you're trying to avoid and trying to tell yourself, oh, well, it's not affecting me. And I'll add one more thing. If you are overly defensive in saying, oh, well, that's not a problem for me, it's probably a problem for you. And that's true in a lot of things in our life. I don't, I don't drink too much. Oh, who are you trying to convince? You know, yourself? Uh, but so, so let's, uh, let's talk, uh, that's the big things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, faith, uh, drugs, drinking, sex, that's the big things. Let's talk about, and, and somebody might say, I don't do any of that. I don't do any of that. I, I, I don't cheat on my wife. I haven't I could drop an alcohol in 15 years. And no, I'm not stealing meds when I go to a perp's house. So I'm okay. No, let's talk about the little, what I'm going to call the little stuff or the hidden stuff. How, how is our mind affecting us? How do we do things? How do our personality changes I'm getting at? And, and, and things that, that start manifesting that the reason we don't say we have a problem is because we don't see it anymore. Correct? Right. And, and, and again, I'll go back to a lot of times other people will identify in us what we aren't seeing in ourselves yet at this point. But, you know, sometimes it's those very subtle things. You know, you, you talked about spirituality. What can happen for many people who are struggling with PTSD or, or um, compassion fatigue issues is they suddenly stop believing in anything at all. There's a lack of spirituality, a lack of faith when there used to be something that they believed in. And so if you have nothing to believe in, nothing to hope for, then life can begin to spin out of control for you very quickly because hope is one of those foundational things that we stand on. Hope is that thing that gives us the energy to get out of bed and to do it over again. And if you start losing your hope, then you lose the ability sometimes to even function. So that's a big thing to look for. You know, have you forgotten how to laugh or to smile? Have you forgotten how to have just a normal everyday conversation with someone? Those little symptoms could be pointing to a bigger issue. And that happens with a lot of people who work in these fields. Or do you even want to have a conversation with someone? Yeah, avoidance of people. Um, definitely, you know, if you have to drink alcohol or take some pills just to have a conversation with someone, that's an issue. You know, if you are finding yourself reliving scenes over and over to the point that that's almost consuming your mind, that's another symptom that many people deal with. And you, you can convince yourself it's part of the job. To a degree, it's part of your job. But again, has it become excessive? 
that excessiveness really is a good measurement to look for. Well, I know that there's times that we'll get angrier with our wife and kids. You know, our personality has changed. You know, and sometimes I've heard these stories where, you know, the, the, the spouse, wife or husband, the spouse comes and says, you're not the person I married. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes we change, you know, we get married young and we change. Uh, my wife and I, we believe that we have whole new lives every 10 years. I, I don't mean reincarnation, but uh, reason I, you know, when we were married, just think about it. Think about when you were married. You were married, you were young, and, um, you know, no kids, let's say. Well, 10 years later, you're, you're out of college, you've got kids, you've got a job, you're 30-ish, right? Well, then 10 years later, now you're in your 40s, kids are graduating high school, they're starting college, you know, you've got a mortgage, maybe a whatever. 10 years later, the kids have graduated college. You may have a grandchild coming. The things are a little better off. You're making more money. 10 years later, you're retiring age. You're starting to slow down. You're selling stuff off. The grandkids are now in high school or college. 10 years later, you're burying your wife. And you're, every 10 years, you have a new life. Every Now, that, that my life may start at 30, it may, but at 10 years old, I'm totally different than when I'm 20 years old, 30 years old. So every 10 years, yes, that changes. But what I'm getting at is, are you angrier? Are you sh- more short-tempered? Do you love the same? Do you do you want to be with your spouse, or are you looking for other things uh, maritally, or or short with your coworkers? See, all these things are are things that you may not recognize that you be have become a real arrogant jerk because you don't realize you've changed. But you're not the person you was three years ago when you started at this job. You don't recognize the change. People around you do. Now, I think you have mentioned before that if you're really serious about this thing, ask people you trust at work. Ask your wife. Ask people that are close to you. Say, hey, over the last three or four years, have I changed? Am I the same person? Ask them. What are you looking for when you do that? Yeah, I think absolutely. And you want to ask people that you know who will be honest with you and not just tell you what you want to hear. And I think what you just shared, Darren, is powerful. You know, that's another great way to assess yourself honestly and really reflect on your own life. You know, and I I love the way you talked about every 10 years. One, doesn't that give you perspective about how fast life passes? Exactly. Well, I can tell you this, that when we begin to face the, the quickness of life's passing, what that does is it gives you a reason to start making changes if you need to make those changes. So that's one thing. But back to your point, if you begin to ask other people who will be honest with you, and you're not hearing what you want to hear, instead of shutting down, instead of getting defensive, which by the way, could be a, a, a symptom of exactly what you're, you're, we're discussing, really listen to them, hear what they have to say, and then ask yourself this question, how was I 10 years ago? How, what kind of person was I 20 years ago? Do I still like me? Am I being the kind of person I would like to be around? That's something I do with myself on a regular basis. I ask myself, am I the kind of person I would want to be around? If the answer is no, then I need to make some serious changes. And I think that's a hard question to ask. 
uh, you know, internally, I think it's a hard question for us to ask because if we, especially if we don't see that we're having a problem, we right. may think, well, yeah, of course I'm the person I want to be around because who wouldn't want to be around me? <laughs> well, and, and the other thing that I think is, um, very helpful with anyone who may be dealing with PTSD or um, secondary traumatic stress is to find an accountability partner, someone that you can trust who not only will be honest, but will allow you to vent because venting is one of the most powerful ways I have seen to deal with these issues in a healthy way. When we're able to face them, when we're able to express ourselves, it allows us to release the pent up pressure from those emotions that we have buried. Because you can kid yourself and tell yourself, ah, you know, I really don't, you know, feel anything. I don't really care what anybody else thinks. But deep down inside, you have buried some things if that's what you're saying. Well, and I think that the, the find somebody you can share with, like you said, find somebody that you can be held accountable for. But let me let me speak in this way. It may not always be your wife, your spouse. I'm sorry. It may not always be your spouse. Because sometimes there's things that you can't share because of the job. Sometimes there's things you don't want to share because of the job. But then there's also things that she, I keep saying she because I'm coming up from a male perspective, but sometimes it's things your spouse won't understand. You know, they're, they're, if you if you come home and you're talking about these things about, you know, having to go to five different dumpsters to get a child, five pieces of a child out of five different dumpsters, your spouse is going, why are you working there? Just, just quit. I don't want to hear this. Quit. Come home. It's not going to work for you. That's not, you know, and then sometimes a spouse may be supportive, but they really can't because they don't understand. Nobody, under, nobody understands what we go through. Nobody understands what we go through. However, find someone that you that does halfway understand may not have to be your coworker but somebody you you, you kind of halfway understands that you can vent to and they can hold you hold you accountable but also have a sounding board but let me warn this your wife is your 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 spouse should be your best friend and that should be some big support there but when you find somebody else be triple triple sure that it's someone of the same sex the same gender because I'm coming from a male perspective. If I find a coworker or another woman, coworker or otherwise, that I can start sharing my feelings with, then what happens is I'm creating an emotional bond with this person. And then they start understanding. Then there could be some fine lines get crossed. Uh, you know, she understands me. My wife don't understand me. She understands me and she's supportive. And then sometime along the line, there's going to be that one little shoulder pat or that one little hug when you're up. And I'm telling you guys, it's not going to be, it's not going to work out. Yeah, I, I would echo everything you're saying. And I would say any person, I mean, listen, in today's world, any gender, if there is an unhealthy emotional uh, draw that you have, you need to be very, very careful and probably avoid it. If you mentally, even for a moment, have the fleeting question of, should I? You probably shouldn't. If you feel guilty or you find yourself hiding the fact that you are um, opening up to another person besides your spouse in this way, that is a red flag and you need to run the other direction because I can assure you as 
difficult as PTSD and compassion fatigue are, that difficulty is going to be magnified thousands of percent if you add on the burden of creating bigger marital problems. Even if you don't get caught, you still have more stress. You're trying to de- you're trying to get rid of your stress. You're increasing your stress because you think it. You think well, it's kind of fun. It's kind of pleasurable. It's kind of uh, you know what? I don't want to get into this topic very far. But pleasure only lasts for a season. It's very very short lived. And and it's and it's it's wrought with guilt. I mean, I know as you know, I guess the sexual component of that may have a bit of pleasure for a few moments, and then there's guilt. But then when the point where the guilt is no longer there, and we're going to bring this full circle, it's because you've calloused yourself to the guilt, which means, or which is, the exact same thing that is going on with your work because you have calloused yourself to the images and the things that you're seeing, and you've compartmentalized it because you've not dealt with it. You have now don't have guilt over the fact that you're having this affair because you've compartmentalized it, but your brain still holds it. And so you will, it will eat you up, even if you don't think so, eventually you will, it will destroy you from the inside out. It, everything comes to, to play at some point, even, and so, so it all ties into dealing with these things appropriately, because over time, you'll lose everything. That's right. And, and here's the thing, whether you feel guilt, or whether you know you should feel guilt, but you don't, either way, that is an issue. And so no matter what it is that guilt is connected to. If you feel it or think that you should feel it, but you don't, it's something that you probably better walk away from. Because again, you want to help yourself heal. You want to help yourself get back to being the person that you want to be. And making unhealthy choices is going to do the opposite of that. It's going to pull you even further away from being the person you want to be, having the life that you want to have, and ha- and feeling happiness again. I can tell you that in the work that I do, when I ask people, give me the top three things that you would most like to have more of, happiness is almost always listed there. If you make unhealthy choices, you are choosing against happiness. Yes, all is based upon our choices and our decisions. One last thing I want to talk about here because we're getting close on time, but I want to talk about our, um, I'm saying, I'm I'm thinking of emotions, but our emotions, uh, the way we deal with tragedy in our personal lives and how that affects our family. Let Let me give you an example. So how... How ideal, and, 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 and let me let me go back. Not everybody is exactly like I am. Uh, we've got a lot of Type A personalities listening, and and there's but there's some that probably isn't quite as Type A as I am when it comes to being um, very arrogant, narcissistic. They got all kinds of words for me, <laughs> but uh, there. But but we do have these emotional problems. What I'm getting at is we don't share empathy like we should with our family, let alone sympathy. We're very analytical when it comes to problems, and sometimes our spouses and our kids just wants us to to listen or to show emotion. To be present. To be present. But in this job, we got to watch out for the fact that we always have to, 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 to squash our emotions on the scenes, that we don't have emotions at home. And when you don't have emotions at home or empathy, then when, you're, when your spouse is upset over something, 
there's this empathy wall go up and you don't feel their pain. You don't, you don't care. Well, I care about my spouse. No, you don't care about the problem. See, because you've, you've learned to block the negative. You've learned to put a shield up for the negative. Negative don't bother me. You know, getting a, getting a little girl out of five different dumpsters. That's just part of the job. No, that's horrible, regardless that you had to do it. But you've got a shield, so you're okay. Now, when you go home and your wife's upset because something happened, there's a shield. So speaking to that, and, and how do we, how, we, it's, we don't notice it sometimes because we're used to it, but how do we look at that and how do we overcome that? How do we separate that? And can we even separate home from work? Well, I don't think it's ever possible to entirely separate home from work. I think people who tell you leave your problems at the door, um, that's kind of foolish because it'll follow you like a cloud. But I'll say this, you can exercise intentionality to help you get through a lot. And a lot of times when we take actions, and we started out at the beginning of the show talking about the importance of actions, when you take actions, feelings eventually will follow. So sometimes people get stuck in this thing of, well, if I don't feel it, then I can't do it. That is not accurate. You can show intentional interest in your family by asking them questions about their day, about their interests, you know, Don't make everything about yourself. That's huge. I'm amazed at how many people lose sight of that important piece of it. You know, sometimes we put more importance on the things that we experience. But you know what? If you put importance on the things that the people in your life experiences, you'll be pretty fascinated by how they respond to that. If it's been a long time, they may be skeptical, but be persistent in showing genuine interest in them. Again, that's huge. Make it a point to be intentional to remember important events related to those people that you care about. I will never forget, Darren, when we were doing a training through Death Investigator Training Academy, where I had someone come up to me at one of the breaks, and he had tears in his eyes, and he was telling me that, you know... I can pass by this scene that happened 15 years ago, and it can trigger for me every detail of what happened in the moment. But I can't remember my child's birthday. I get in trouble with my spouse all of the time because I don't remember, and I'm either late or I've not even shown up. Do things to help you remember. If you can't remember on your own, then put some calendar reminders in, any kind of tickler system that's going to practically prevent that kind of issue in your family. But it's that intentionality of showing interest in them that will begin to foster the emotions. They'll eventually follow. But if you continue to keep yourself disconnected from your family, don't be surprised if eventually they don't disconnect from you. Yeah, and that's pretty common. Uh, it can happen, and, and and then it's a whole rebuilding process. And then when that starts happening, and there's other things, the whole domino starts to fall apart. Now, we're, we're close on our time here. We're going to have to kind of let this go. So I hope that, that maybe further this conversation later on in the month, again, June being uh, PTSD awareness, I think it's something we need to concentrate on just a little bit. Uh, maybe we can uh, bring on some true cases. I've got some true examples I'd like for us to speak into later on another episode where we can actually talk about that. Plus, uh, I want to talk more about code. Remember, we wrote the book Code, C-O-D-E. You can find that if you're listening and want to look, check it out at thinlinecode.com. Thin, like not thick 
thinlinecode.com. You can find out more about that. And this isn't about selling that book. What it's about is go check it out. You might want to buy it and read it. But these are real life stories of real life people, of real life situations and how they handle things. It covers fire, police, EMS, coroners, dispatchers, people within the emergency system. And um, so, so anyway, so it's fantastic because you're reading about real people doing real things. Uh, but it's all about how this month is playing out as when it comes to our mental health. So again, I hope that we'll further this conversation later on, but I thank you for what we've had so far. We've scratched the surface. We've opened up the box, so to speak, and then let's just see what comes out from there. So again, thank you very much for being in the studio, being on the show and pouring into us today. It's always my pleasure, Darren. All right. I'm right back with you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Anita. She's an amazing person to talk to. I love having her in the studio. You know, all that we have been able to do together and to help in this industry of compassion, fatigue, and PTSD among police, fire, coroners, medical examiners, things like that. It's an amazing thing that we've done, and I so much enjoy being a part of it. I hope you got something out of that. The links that I shared on the show will be in the show notes. Anything that you need from myself or Anita, certainly reach out to us, and we can help you in, in every way that we can. I want to just ask that, again, if you have questions about the certification exam, questions about the online training, give me a uh, contact, and I'll give you that information. Uh, one last thing. If you have not taken the time in a long time or ever to go to iTunes or to Stitcher or to Downcast or wherever you listen to this show at and leave a rating and review, five-star, thumbs up, whatever it is on your player, uh, take time to do that. What it does, it doesn't provide anything for me personally, but what it does is allows others who come along behind and they look at the show, they want to see when the last time was someone commented, what were the comments? You know, was it good comments, bad comments? I would love to have five stars, but if you think it's a two-star, one-star, I think I do have a one star maybe 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 two one stars in four years you know most of them of course are pretty high ratings but i'd love to hear your feedback but doing that on itunes apple podcast things like that allows other people to get a thought about what the show is and then they'll come in and listen and like i've said a lot of times if you listen to the show for very long you'll know that i say give me three shows you might not like this show but if you give me three shows you're going to find a fit within our family and our community So until next week, everybody, find a way to be a blessing. Bless somebody in your world, in your area, in your family, in your job. Find a way to bless somebody, even if that's just a smile. And above all, be safe. Thanks for listening to Coroner Talk, a DSPN media production. Visit our website at coronertalk.com. And be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash coroner training. 617-1024 scene en route to morgue.